Hey friends, Lee Henson Hasty. I'm Senior Director of Theological Education Funds Development at the Presbyterian Foundation. Uh, that's a ministry of the Committee on Theological Education. Welcome to this edition of Leading Theologically I'm with my friend Keisha, the Dr. Keisha McKenzie from Auburn uh, Seminary. I'm glad you're here with us, Keisha, and to help us talk about civically engaged ministry. Thank you so much for having me this afternoon. Um, if if y'all don't know Keisha, we're going to paste a bio in the link. We also um, will also connect. There's a video that Keisha was a part of about a year or so ago, and that's when we got introduced. Um, a real gift um, to theological education in the Christian Church and beyond, and and just uh, an amazing leader. Keisha is senior vice president of programs. Uh, and a strategist who interprets communication, religion, spirituality, and politics as social change technologies. She's able to do that really important sort of movement making stuff because of her background, her PhD um, in technical communication rhetoric from Texas Tech. Uh, she's also a graduate of Northern Caribbean University in Jamaica. She's a native of the UK. Um, I suspect has been all around the world, not just educationally, um, and just brings so much from us. She identifies with the Seventh-day Adventist uh, tradition and um, that whole sort of idea of, of Sabbath is something to teach us, something Presbyterians say we value, but I'm not sure. We I learned so much from every Seventh-day Adventist about Sabbath, it feels like, uh, every time I encounter so um, just before we're starting, she was even reminding me, Lee, let's just breathe. <laughs> <laughs> so, indeed, indeed. Thanks. Thanks again for being here. Thank you for having me. Yes. Um, always good to talk to you. Thanks. Um, uh, Auburn is a member of the Committee on Theological Education, has been in covenant with the General Assembly for, gosh, now, I guess next year it will be 30 years, um, but a long, even a longer tradition before that in connection um, is a not accredited school, but helps us with um, students at, in the schools in New York City area, especially Union Theological Seminary in New York, on New York Theological Seminary, among others. Um, but Keisha is here. I, I want to to start off by asking what I normally ask a vocation question. And, and that is um, the one that we've been asking from Latina theologian, uh, Ada Maria Sassi Diaz, where she says it's Katie Cannon said, what is the work your soul must have? Thurman says, what is it that's making you come alive? But Ada Maria Sassi Diaz says, what is the life story that you celebrate today? Mm -hmm. And I, I love that question because it feels like it anchors me, you, in time. <laughs> like we're, we're each uh, a little pin on the human timeline, generations, centuries, millennia. Um, but we each step into that timeline in very particular ways, uh, gendered, raced, right. um, in terms of age, in terms of the places that we come from, the skills that we bring, the disciplines that shape us and the way that we think. Um, so I come into the timeline as a black queer woman who has been shaped by the Christian tradition, who has been shaped by mystic practice, 
who when I read the Bible, the people that I gravitate to in the Bible are the visionaries, but it mm. always gets them into trouble. <laughs> so both ancient and modern visionaries, people who in say the time of Jeremiah were thinking about what is a time where our communities are no longer in exile, where we are, are um, we finally have a home of our own and where the religious structure itself is flattened such that none needs to be taught to know the Lord. That was Jeremiah's vision of, of what hope was, what a future worth being drawn to was. And then over in, um, in Revelation, John being captured by this vision of the new earth being populated by an uncountable number of people from all kinds of backgrounds, from every nation, kindred, tongue of people, people who have learned what it is to be just and faithful and true and kind. So mm. not just like this sort of rigid, doctrinal, uh, tightly constrained community, but like a community of love as practice. And that was the vision that he was drawn to. And that kind of inspired me um, when I became a Seventh-day Adventist at the age of 13. My family um, is Seventh-day Adventist, thanks to my grandparents who converted in the 1930s in Jamaica. And uh, like many of the traditions in the British colonies that are shaped by missionary practice. Um, the church was a way of our family literally moving from classes through education. So my grandfather was from the farming class, maybe four generations away from enslavement. And so all of them came from people who planted sugarcane and um, sweet potatoes and um, grew citrus trees and mangoes and uh, created furniture with their hands. And so he was a carpenter also. My mother, my grandmother, she was a seamstress and she sold vegetables in the market. And within one generation, because of the church's emphasis on Sabbath school, lay leadership and formal education in the local Adventist college, we have uh, a a minister, a, a pastor, my uncle, who's two doctoral degrees. In my generation, we have doctors, nurses, teachers, wow. um, all sorts of mischief makers. But that transition is actually a very, very common Adventist story in, in the Caribbean, um, in Africa, in Asia, and elsewhere. Mm. And so there's a, a lovely tradition around the role of education as a way of shaping the mind, body, and spirit as a unit in mm. Adventist culture. Um, and there's also a long tradition of public service and not necessarily public service as in becoming a politician, although there are a couple of people who've taken that route, but public service in the sense of taking the practical skills that you have and putting them in the service of the community that you're in through mm. hospital systems or through disaster response or through medical ministry otherwise, like um, in, in Africa, particularly during the 80s and 90s, there was a big wave of Adventist health missionaries doing AIDS response. Wow. And so um, like all of those things are part of what helped me get to this position of being at least oriented towards social service and community service, but my particularity as a queer person and my training in rhetoric and understanding how institutions, religious especially, linked their theology to the way that we treated each other 
mm. in churches, in local congregations, in our wider faith community, just made me sensible to advocacy as something that called me to speak up and have a voice and help others do the same. Um, so that's basically the story of how I get to mm, ecumenical LGBT advocacy um, and then from their interfaith work around several issues, including racial justice, and then toward Auburn as a multi-faith institution that's committed to justice across a network of issues. Because the core question is, how do we flourish together? Right. And, and that's the that's the core of the work that we do there. So y'all see why I invited Keisha on my show now. I mean, the PhD in rhetoric, like it's it's legitimate. <laughs> <laughs> Like it's, it's valid, as, as my 16 year old daughter would say. You know, she's bust. <laughs> she's got it going on, as my generation would say. Um, yeah, I mean, I love that you connect what you celebrate in your life story today with generations and with faith traditions. And it feels like the Adventist kind of tradition parallel to the reform tradition in terms of the value on education of all, you know, and not just theological education, right. but education period, yes. advocacy, engaged ministry, and also one of those places where I think both have leaned in and, and, may, and lately I know the Adventists really deeply in the, in health and hospitals mm -hmm. and medical care. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, so there's some, so it makes sense to me that you're at Auburn um, but I say just a, a minute more as we we're I know we're 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 edging into the civically engaged ministry. You mm -hmm. clearly are there. But how how did you end up at Auburn mm -hmm. and, um, in that sort of reformed kind of perspective? Um, how, how does that um, give you life there, too? I'd love to hear that. I know my guests, my watchers would, too. Yeah. So while I was working at a, an LGBT Christian digital organizing and editorial platform. 2016, 2017, I got to meet one of Auburn's current leaders, Dr. Sharon Groves, who helps us hold partnerships in movement um, and faith communities. And she was my first contact with the Auburn network. But at the same time, Auburn hosted uh, a multinational conversation between LGBT people in Africa, the Americas, the UK, and um, Central America, uh, just mm -hmm. at the turn of the transition into the last presidency, mm -hmm. uh, people thinking perhaps for the first time about what it meant to be an authoritarian climate mm -hmm. and what we could learn from people who had lived under really extreme social pressures about how to hold communities strongly, how to not leave vulnerable people behind, um, what faith communities could do to be an asset in that really extreme context, uh, what Auburn's role in that might be. Um, and so like I got brought in to, to the, those kinds of faith and movement programs and then joined Auburn as their digital strategist to support their petition platform Groundswell Movement. But once I got there, I learned about this much larger texture of leadership development, community growth and social impact work that Auburn is committed to has been operating as a seminary for 204 years, thereabouts, wow. began in upstate New York, 
um, in a town called Auburn, which gave it a, its name. And um, for all of that history in one way or another has been part of movements to uh, stretch beyond textual fundamentalism, to think about the role that religion can play in public life for us to be more humane to each other, mm-hmm. um, to to be uh, inspired by the traditions that shape us, but not not shackled by them. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that our board has recently been doing is to take us from uh, what was formerly a Presbyterian seminary in all of its all of its uh, administrative forms into this multi-faith organization that still has uh, like a third of the board is officially Presbyterian. And they decided that one of the offerings that they wanted to make from the reform tradition was to be a part of this larger story, this larger pluralistic, inclusive, multi-faith story, um, to be part of the story, but not in charge of the story. Mm. It's a very um, intentional uh, orientation to being part of diverse community. And they asked themselves, what are the legacies of Presbyterian tradition that mm-hmm. uh, help us see the world in this way and that can ground the work that our institution does? And so they came up with a paragraph, which I crave your indulgence to read, because it's really beautiful. Oh, I think it's, it's super helpful um, yeah, to understand the, the reform values of, of Auburn. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, please share. So this is the board statement. Love is the foundation of Auburn's participation and leadership in multi-faith justice work. Justice is the embodying of love in the public square, that is, in community. Justice requires us to work with all who strive to know and share love in the world in moving toward the beloved community envisioned by us all. No one of us has full understanding of the path before us. We do best when we delight in the energy, intelligence, imagination, and love we each bring to the work, and when we acknowledge that our understanding is always limited and often flawed. Change will be constant, demanding innovation and flexibility. The humility to listen to our hearts, to each other, and to the mystery, and then the courage to share with the whole world what each hears is the best process for setting our way together. I really love this statement. <laughs> it is. Like I, I love but it more. Presbyterians, than this is what we do. We write statements all it's, the time. It's, but it's a beautiful statement. Uh, uh, the Seventh Day tradition tradition is not a reform tradition, <laughs> but there are elements in here that uh, I just I just get drawn to, particularly this one about us being in beloved community. Not each of, not any of us having a full understanding of the path, and like we build understanding of the path through relationship, through mm-hmm. um, sharing with courage what spirit has laid on our hearts. Like that, just deeply resonates mm-hmm. with me, because uh, my philosophy, shaped by African tradition, would be that we need each other. Like our identity mm-hmm. as individuals is not complete without yeah. community relationship. Right. Right. Precisely. Precisely. <laughs> um, and so like seeing this subset of our board wrestle together and then with the full board and invite the entire organization into this kind of shared understanding of what it takes to move forward together is like an encouraging way to see the reformed democratic principle play out in practice. And uh, so, yeah, like I, I, I see in this turn for the board to say, 
let's release some of this um, traditional power we might hold and seek to share it with others who come from different traditions as a very good model for how how Christians might operate in a in a society that's pluralistic. Well, it seems like a God too. I mean, you're I mean, we're talking about civically engaged ministry and this kind of statement um, you're making. I mean, that feels like an, an invitation to congregations too. I mean, mm -hmm. they could point to, you know, our book of confessions and I'm thinking of like Barman Declaration and um, also um, the, the more recent confessions are very much grounded in particular things happening in the world, mm -hmm. speaking out against them. But it seems like this becomes a God, you know, for Auburn. And maybe, maybe that's something you would encourage congregational leaders to do. I, don't, I know you do some training along this, these lines um, yes. around religious freedom, you know, to help congregations and leaders is, is to, to maybe sort of, you know, let's let's just not assume we know what we're talking about you know so that you know the so that when we're doing this together um it gives us a guide because who knows what's going to happen tomorrow <laughs> right yeah you, you can't control the conditions around you but you can be intentional about the values you bring to those conditions yes so that yeah. that's part of what i love about this statement is it re-anchors the organization in in these values and this this process happened under our previous president, uh, the Reverend Dr. Catherine Henderson, um, mm -hmm. and and continues under our current president, uh, Reverend Dr. Emma Jordan Simpson. Um, but in thinking about how values can shape the way that we show up together, I worked with Liz Platt at the Law, Rights and Religion Project about two years ago now um, to build out materials on some work that she'd started a couple years ago listening to people from different religious backgrounds, also listening to people who are both lawyers and not lawyers, because lawyers have a lot to say about <laughs> the way that religious freedom shows up in our public and, uh, and our laws, um, and in cases that go before the courts, including the Supreme Court. And where she ended up from her prior research was that there are six principles for religious freedom. Um, religious freedom includes the ability to express your faith in public and in private without government interference. But the way that you approach that freedom makes a whole lot of difference because people are arguing right now uh, that religious freedom is why they shouldn't offer particular medications in the pharmacy or religious freedom is why they shouldn't have to serve everybody in the florist or in the cake shop. Um, right. So we're arguing that religious freedom should be neutral, neutrally applied to everybody, regardless of who you mm -hmm. are, non-coercive, not uh, imposing any particular religion on anybody else, non-discriminatory, mm -hmm. so that we all have equal access to the public sphere, not mm -hmm. absolute, so not privileged over other rights like expression or assembly, um, democratic, because we are in a democratic culture in at least in the ideal, but then pluralistic because our diversity is a feature of our society and not a problem to be solved. And so when we take those six principles as foundational and like we treat them literally as values that could guide a conversation with one another, right. like we have the opportunity to enter this question of how do we live well together um, without starting at the point of conflict or thinking about militarism, like religious freedom as a sword or as a shield, like it puts people in a very different place to ask them, actually, what do you really value about yeah, the community? It feels like it takes away like political parties. and Yeah, it, it takes some of that sting out. I won't say it takes it away. Entirely, it has not totally. Because um, 
because you we, put, we choose you up a little picture you have it um it's auburn seminary backslash religious hyphen freedom is mm -hmm. the is the link um and and there's a re there's a there's some resources around this at auburn mm -hmm. um including a media guide and other ways that you can help because congregations whether they're in rural urban you know large small congregation whatever they might be um i know so many are trying to figure this out and it's and it's tough they're getting labeled in the when they when they take a position they're getting labeled i saw yesterday somebody um you know because of their statements on inclusivity um like they got sent a christmas card from jesus Boy. you know with hate speech oh. you know on it you know i mean sent to the pastor i mean they're so I think hopefully it's encouraging to congregations like that that are trying to to figure out how to how to be faithful, how to live out their values, um, and and also I sometimes sometimes say and realize we're not crazy. No, <laughs> no, there are others. There's a who lot are of crazy making out yeah. there. <laughs> there, there are others who are wrestling with these questions just as much as we are, and it's it's in it has been encouraging actually to take um, the. The, the deck that we produce based on the principles and to like host conversations about it with different groups of people. But really, I think for congregations who are wondering about where they should wade into community questions, um, knowing upfront that you will get backlash is very helpful because then you're not also dealing with the backlash and surprise that you're getting it. Right. Um, perhaps this was my early advocacy experience kind of teaching me something about um, when you've made a commitment that your culture should be welcoming to all people, you will inevitably run into confrontation with people who don't believe that. And there right. are some people in our culture who don't believe that. But if for me, the circle is wide, and for you, the circle is narrow, your narrow circle sits within my wide circle. And there's, a, there's an Edwin Markham poem that is some, similar to this, where he says, uh, love and I had the wit to win. We drew the circle that drew him in. And, and that's oh, the, wow. the, the orientation that I take to it. But I know that there will be some angst from the narrow circle people about my wide circle. But that's okay, because mm. I include them anyway. And so if you know that there will be that angst, then you can somewhat anticipate it and you can manage your nervous system to take it on. And you can mm. prepare your congregants for the angry letter from Jesus, uh, <laughs> knowing that it's not actually Jesus who's writing you an angry right. letter. Right. But that Jesus himself faced opposition and backlash to the point of death for some of the moral and values commitments he was willing to make and teach his disciples to make. So we know about that. But in the meantime, um, we're not wrestling against people. Um, Amen. Uh, we're, we're still like using our best offerings to bring to the common table, um, knowing that we don't have to be in charge of how it all plays out, but we have our responsibility to make our best possible contribution. So tell us, I mean, I love um, how you're framing all of this. I think it's helpful. Are there some resources that you in particular, you know, and uh, Auburn are offering to help faith leaders um, in their civically engaged ministry or, or where would you sort of point people toward to continue to read, to learn, to watch? To, you know, podcasts, I don't know what it is, you know, what kind of resources you would point people to. I would love to be able to compile a couple of podcasts um, to send to you. Okay. Um, one, of, one of my colleagues, um, Dr. Erica Ramirez, has been doing a project over the last couple of years called 
it began as future story of America, thinking about 2050 and demographic shift and right. um, the context of belonging that each of us was entering into. Uh, what did faith leaders who are in congregations need to know about immigration or gun violence or how to welcome new new Americans into the um, community that would make faith an asset in the process of America becoming what it can be. Um, and so I, I know that she has ideas and thoughts about even this current question of, of Christian nationalism, what it is, who's advocating for it seriously, and who's um, trying to resist it and turn us back toward a, a, a pluralistic, inclusive culture, um, because that is a, a, like a pressing concern. Um, We've, we've heard for the last maybe 30, 35 years from people who think that Christianity requires them to dominate media, to dominate culture, to dominate politics, um, to dominate education. Taking these seven mountains for the kingdom is, is how mm -hmm. they describe it. Um, and Auburn does not believe that that's our call uh, as religious people. Um, so we get to equip local pastors and rabbis and imams and other faith leaders to think about being part of this tapestry, which is a different metaphor entirely than colonizing the seven mountains of culture. Right. Um, gosh, I can't believe our time is running. running <laughs> out here. Friends, if you have comments, questions, um, please put them in the chat, uh, whether you're on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, or YouTube, we'd love to hear from you. Let you let us know you're there. Um, I do want to say a little word, if I might, Lee. Oh yeah, please. Specifically about our Presbyterian leadership program, because we've been yes. doing that work to accompany uh, students or seminarians at Union and and area seminaries for the last thirty plus years. But that's legacy from this two hundred and four year old commitment to training right. moral leaders um, in our culture. And so the, the Presbyterian Leaders Program uh, mentors and trains leaders who are studying at Union or answering creative ministry calls in congregations or other ministerial contexts around the country. Um, we have a, a counselor to Presbyterian students, the Reverend Greg Horn, um, who is a minister at, in Montclair, New Jersey. And for the last 17 years, he's held that role, uh, teaching two courses a year in worship and polity for students who are at Union. And then alongside him, we have the Reverend Dr. Derek McQueen, who is the senior minister at St. James Presbyterian Church in Harlem, um, who provides mentorship to women, queer, and, and uh, leaders of co color in the Presbyterian clergy who are just starting their first congregational call mm. or perhaps entering chaplaincy or other creative forms of ministry in this but moment. Between both the two amazing, of them. Both yeah, people. I, I mean, Greg, uh, Wiley Connect, and Derek, I met him as a seminarian, and now he's on your board also, right? Yes, yes. Um, and he's friends. He's um, following him, follow him on social media and listen to him sing, too. I know he's involved mm -hmm. in Music. lots of interfaith um, work also. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, between the two of them, that's 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 quite a team. Yes, <laughs> yes. And, and, and we want to be able to expand that team because – it is important to us that we invest in early career Presbyterian leaders before they're out in the world loose, um, while they're figuring out how to express their call in uh, congregational climates and, and clergy climates that have changed quite a lot. So even in the last 10, 15 years, um, 
many congregations have either shrunk in size or they don't have associate minister roles anymore. And so people who are graduating from seminaries have a different leadership context to work in. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, the world around us all has changed between the pandemic, racial, right. um, racial uprisings all over the place, um, economic crunch and injustice and disparities. So the, the environment, not to mention climate change, like being over <laughs> like a looming thing in the next 15 to 30 years, um, gonna be a character in our story. And mm-hmm. we won't be able to escape the ecolo- ecological shift right. that's coming, but our responsibility as leaders of faith and moral courage is to help people navigate the grief, uh, to face up to what's happening right now, um, and also uh, hold fast to the vision that crafts a different future for us. So when we wanna invest in leaders were in the early phase of their career, like that's a core commitment of our leadership development work, and we want to be able to continue to do that. But I wanted to mention that. Uh, that I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, it's such a key. It's you know, I know it's a key part of the covenant for the PCUSA. Um, but in some ways, I want to say Auburn for a long time has been the R and D. You know, of <laughs> uh, what everybody's like, what is happening next in theological education? Like Auburn has been figuring that out. For a long, long time, uh, John C. Smith Theological Seminary too. I mean, the related to PCUSA, not accredited schools, but clearly doing theological education in some some new and exciting way. You're leading theologically. That is 100%. And and uh, what a resource, uh, probably underutilized. Please get to know Auburn, AuburnSeminary.org. Get to know Keisha. Um, I'd love for you to give us a charge and blessing. I'm sorry we. We always always want more time um, with these with these uh, these uh, conversations. But um, if you would be willing to do that in a moment, uh, would really appreciate it. I'm, uh, I want to invite folks in. It's actually three weeks is the way it works out. I will be having from not too far away Princeton Theological Seminary, November sixteenth. The Reverend uh, Dr. Kenda Creasy Dean. Uh, she is involved with. Um, their youth ministry leadership there. And uh, we'll be talking about innovating for love. It's connected to a recent book that, that she has put together. Um, the end of the month, Beth McCall from Dubuque Seminary, New Ways of Being Church, which you're already talking about here <laughs> in a way, right? And then uh, December 14th, I'll have the co-moderators of the General Assembly, Ruth Santana Grace and Siobhan Starling Lewis, um, who will be with us. So a great uh, lineup coming up. Keisha, you've been such a gift you today, but uh, since 2018, certainly um, with Auburn Seminary and and before that, thank you for uh, how you were living out your story in truly life-giving ways um, for yourself, for your school, for um, for the community, for the world, for God. Thank you for those gifts, bringing um, the rhetoric, the technology, the communication, the strategy. Um, gosh, I, I always want to have another, I feel like I want to have another three hours to talk. Um, I'm going to have to go back and exegete the <laughs> opening paragraph or so that you shared today. I mean, just so much uh, to think about and talk about. Thank you for who you are and, and what you bring to the table. Would you be willing to bless us? Absolutely, I would. And, and consider this a blessing from Auburn and for the spirit that animates us. May your heart be flooded with love. Mm. And may love be your path through this world. 
May justice be the common tongue that you speak behind closed institutional doors, in community, and in the public square. May you remain soft enough to remember we cannot be beloved community by ourselves, mm. to reach for the hands beside you. May you live and see and know with imagination and humility. May curiosity, delight, and mystery carry you from all you know to more of what you can become. And may you have the courage to share with the whole what you hear from spirit about the next step for you, for us, and our way together. Amen. 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 Blessings, everyone. We will look forward to seeing you in a few weeks. Take good care. Thank you. Take care, everyone.